Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the word of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Avarilla. Thank you, Tamara, Dr. Riegert, and everybody. Thank you, Carla Winslow, for such good words. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. This being the second Sunday of Advent and the theme being peace, peace is it's not just something that you stumble into. I think it's something that you seek. It's just perfect. And thank you, Zach, for all the good work you do to film those things and then to edit those things. I'm, I needed and have gotten some help today already. Welcome to the second Sunday in Advent. Now the whole concept of a Christian calendar may be somewhat new to you. It was to me when Dr. Green introduced it to us a couple decades ago now, Dr. Green. Um, but here's what I appreciate about the Christian calendar. Is it, a, it is a strategy for development of the believer and of the believing community. In other words, in every season, and sometimes even broken down to Sundays within a season, we are offered what we need, the tools that we need to move closer toward Christ-likeness. During Advent, we are shaped to be people who wait well. We are shaped to be people of hope and anticipation. We are shaped here on the second Sunday in Advent to be people who seek peace, seek peace. And peace is not merely the absence of conflict, though that sounds pretty good too, amen? I mean, there are a lot of us, and I have talked with a lot of you this week, who really could use some absence of conflict. <laughs> Whether it's because of, of uh, medical struggles in your own family, or it's because of relational struggles in your own family. Whether it's because you are taking very personally, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, I think it could be a good thing, the struggles that we have as a society, in our city, state, nation, and world. Whether you're perhaps, I don't know, the pastor of a church that's got a, a pretty ugly financial deficit. I don't know, something like that. By the way, it's about 200,000. It's not too far off from what we've actually seen before around here. It's a hill that we have climbed before, but man, I need you to climb it with me. So please help us. So for various and sundry reasons, you may walk into the sanctuary in desperate need of some peace. The season of Advent, the second Sunday in the season of Advent, shapes us to be people who can for sure enjoy and receive that peace while also, be people, while also being people who seek it 
and eventually at some point become mouthpieces for it. We're in the second Sunday of a new sermon series, Home is Closer Than You Think. But I want to talk a little bit today about what I mean when I say home. And in order to do that, I need you to let me engage your imagination here a little bit. So I would like for you to think back, especially those of you who've grown up in the church, I'd like for you to think back to that moment when you went perhaps to an altar. Maybe you sat there in your pew or in your seat. Maybe you weren't even in the church. Maybe you're at home. But think back to that time, that place, that moment when you made a decision, when you made a decision to align yourself with the very person of God. Think back. What was the context? What was the backdrop? Were you at church camp? I've heard of such things at, at church camp. Perhaps it was VBS. Maybe it was in this room. A couple of those moments for me have happened in this room. But when was the last time you made a decision that you knew in the moment was going to shape the trajectory of your life? A decision that in that moment left you absolutely at peace with God. Reconciled to God. Complete and utter peace between you and God. I want you, I want you to think of that moment. And as you think of that moment, here's the word I want you to associate with it. I want you to associate the word home with it. When was the last time you made a decision? That God motivated you, inspired you to make a decision. You made it. You knew that it was the right decision. And you knew that in that moment, you and God couldn't be any tighter, any closer. Let's call that home. Home. Have you wandered from home? Is it possible that you have wandered from home? Can I answer my own question? Yes, it is possible that each of us has wandered from that home. In fact, it seems to be the biblical witness that the people of God have this incredible habit of wandering from home. Never once in a while, somebody comes back into our lives and they kind of knock really hard and they say, hey, it's time for you to get home, Right? Now, thinking back to that moment that you made that particular decision, do you remember it well enough to remember what the song was that perhaps, and you know, this is kind of sometimes what songs do. It's happened to me before. Sometimes you could be teetering on the brink, should I go pray or not? But then they play that song, that one song that just, sure enough, it just kind of lifts you out of your seat. What, do you remember the song that perhaps motivated you, if not to move, at least to pray? When I was lots younger, here is a song that might have been played during that time of potential decision. See if you remember it. Softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. And here's what he's saying, come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly but tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling Oh, sinner, come home. Are you picturing, are you remembering, perhaps are you even hearing home, that moment when you had peace at home? Now, 
you are going to hear a similar call to return home today, but it's John the Baptist and it's not Jesus. It may not be softly and tenderly. In fact, if anything, John the Baptist is a little bit like a hammer and a gong. (laughs) But the message is the same. Come home. Not that it happens that much around here, but you're going to hear the pastor say to you today, perhaps it is time for you to pray And in the tradition of John the Baptist, perhaps you should hear me say, perhaps it is time to repent, to make a turn, to be reoriented to the one who orients everything. Perhaps it is time to come back home. Perhaps it is time to make peace at home. Have you wandered? Have I wandered? Have we wandered as a church, as a tradition? Have we wandered away from home? And I think sometimes the answer is yes. And so today might be the day. Whether you sit there in your seats and you do it, or you come up here to the front as you were headed toward the the Eucharistic moment, today is the day, perhaps for you, that you might be able to make it all the way back home. And I'm telling you, it's really important, and here's why it's important. Is it important, John, because somehow if I don't, God's mind about me will be changed? I don't don't think so. I I didn't say it to you yet, so I'm gonna say it to you now. Folks, And maybe you're visiting today, so watch this. Folks, God's mind about you is made up. And the news is good. (laughs) The news is good. So no, you're repenting. You're turning around, which is what that word means. You're turning around to be reoriented to the very voice and the character and the nature of God and the mission, the passion of God. No, that doesn't change God's mind about you. But it does, I hope, change your mind about God and then situate you for the next big thing that God's going to do, because here's another big point to today's sermon, God's about to do something big. God's about to do something big, and here's how I know, because God's always about to do something big. The God who does big things is about to do another big thing, and it's not whether or not God's going to do something big, it's gonna be whether or not you have eyes to see it when it happens, ears to hear it when it happens. It's gonna be whether or not you have been reoriented by your repentance to appreciate it when it happens and not just to receive it, but to take part in it. But to take part in it. God is always in the process of doing something more. That's part of what we acknowledge and even celebrate during Advent. It's not like we've forgotten that Christ was born. We're not pretending here. But we give voice to our hopes that God will continue to arrive on this scene, to finish the process, to return. Because that's what we know to be true about this God. This God keeps showing up. This God keeps showing up, intervening to do a better and a farther reaching thing. And in preparation, God sends prophets, prophets, people like John the Baptist, people like Isaiah, Prophets and prophetic voices to prepare us for whatever it is that God wants to do. For Israelite slaves, God shows up at the Exodus. But Moses was the prophet who told the people how to prepare, remember? For the people in exile, God shows up to bring them home, offering rescue and relief. And there were several, several prophets that spoke to what God was going to do, but none more than Isaiah, like in Isaiah 40 that John will quote. For the original audience in Luke chapter three, people living as hostages in their own land, aching for a Messiah, God shows up and moves into the neighborhood. We'll talk more about that. 
using some of the same language used by Isaiah, John the Baptist shows up to speak to what God is doing in Christ and how to get ready for what it is that God is doing in Christ. For me, and I hope for you, I know for some of you because you've said it to me, we all need God to do something else. <laughs> we need God to do something again. Maybe it's in our household. Maybe it's just in my mind and heart. Maybe it's in my extended family. Maybe I feel that God needs to come and do something for our city and state, but we need God to show up and do it again to finish what God started to make all things new, to make God's home among us. And like before, we, the people of God, the body of Christ, are being called to repentance obedience, reconciliation, so that we can be both recipients and partners in the new thing that God wants to do. Listen, it has always been the case that Christians, believing people, have always had the capacity to miss the good thing that God was doing. We have always had the capacity to be so caught up in the other stuff that we wanted to do, oriented to something or someone else, we have always had the capacity to miss the good thing that God wants to do. And by the way, people, God is not waiting to show up. God's showing up all the time. Are we missing it? Are we so busy, oriented to something else, that we're missing it? The, the hard answer is yes, and now I'm just testifying. I know I have missed it before. Perhaps I'm too torn up about this or that and the other to see the good thing that God is doing right now and around me. Maybe that's why in all of these stories, the common theme is the backdrop of the desert or the wilderness out away from stuff, out away from the noise. Have you noticed this, these stories I've already mentioned? Where the biblical story is concerned, it's in the desert that relationship with God is deepened, solidified, galvanized. In the Exodus wanderings, Jeremiah goes as far as to say this about God's relationship to God's people as they wandered. God says, I was your husband and I was doting on you like the bride. In the exile, in the exile, uh, God is also there. It seems like they can hear God out in the exile in ways that they couldn't when they were in the throes of the city and the gears of the city. Jesus even is out in the wilderness, out away from it all, and is able to face down all of these temptations so that he can rely on the sustaining voice of God. It seems to be in the wilderness, perhaps in the desert, that God always does the announcing of the new thing that God's about to do. It seems to be in the desert that God seeks to be reconciled, that we hear the call to reconcile, to repent, to recover something that we lost, it seems to be out there in the desert where we aren't so inundated by all the other stuff that presses in. And so I know this is blasphemous, so forgive me ahead of time. Preemptive forgiveness, I'm asking for it, okay? Please go ahead and get those fantasy football lineups set now so you can listen. Please finish up on Facebook so that you can listen. Please finish up that last email so you can listen. In other words, Join me in the desert, separated from the noise, separated from all of that. And by the way, there's a lot of all of that that's good and necessary, and yet still, I think, there need to be moments when we leave it 
and go into the desert just so we can hear what we couldn't have heard before. Maybe that's why people like to go backpacking. I may not want to be one of those people, but I kind of wish I was one of those people. I would like to learn how to backpack if somebody wants to teach me how to do such a thing. I can appreciate that this is part of the reason that people do it, though, to get away from the noise. To get away from the noise. Now, <laughs> as someone who seems to suffer from, um, well, I don't know what you, what you call it. I have directional incapabilities, is what I'll call it. <laughs> I'm directionally challenged, that's what it is. It would be something of a, of a danger to release me out into the wild with just a backpack. Now, if you sent me with compass or something like that, once you taught me how to use it, <laughs> I think I'd be pretty connected to it, right? Plot me somewhere out there in the middle of nowhere and tell me to find my way. I will appreciate that the compass in that moment and perhaps the position of the sun the moon, I would grasp pretty tightly those things that allow me to orient, right? I'm not saying I would make it back alive. <laughs> Let's say that I do make it back alive, though. When I do, it'll be because I will have allowed those things to orient me in a way that points me toward life. I also believe that separated from all of the noise, I also believe that I'll be able to hear some things that I couldn't hear before. There is such a thing as light pollution, right? There's also such a thing as noise pollution. I do believe that God has always known, if I really wanna get back to my people, if I really wanna get to them, I'm gonna have to get them out of the noise pollution and out of the light pollution. I'm gonna have to get them out there, perhaps out there in the desert, in the wilderness, Give them something that they can use to orient themselves so they can get back to life. It may just be my imagination, but I feel like I'm hearing more and more stories about hitchhikers getting lost. <laughs> I have been especially sensitive to it this week when I knew I was going to talk about this. Here's what I'm saying to you. Advent is a great time to consider going into the desert with nothing other than the voice of God to orient you. In fact, to go beyond that, going into the desert, I would highly recommend. Going into the desert perhaps would be a good place and a good time to repent. To repent. Are you saying I'm guilty, John? Yeah. All of us are, in one way or another, guilty of being polluted by the light and the noise. Tempted away from, intimidated away from, intoxicated away from the orienting voice of God. The God who says, perhaps through Jesus softly and tenderly, but also perhaps through John the Baptist, who pretty loudly says, it is time for you to come home. Look out at so many faces that I love deeply and desperately. 
But I will say to you what I know I have needed to hear from God this week too. Man, it might be time to repent. It, it might be time to say, I have wandered from home, God. And remember, we've called home that moment of decision when you know, when you know that you made a decision that brought you close to God. A decision that had and has every potential to shape the trajectory of your life. I'm not saying you change your job. <laughs> I am saying that you can go about it in a characteristic sort of way if God has reoriented you, no matter what that job is. What I'm saying, and a dear friend of mine said to me not too long ago, when, when does judgment get preached ever here? <laughs> it's a great question, and here's my answer today. Maybe time to come home, right? Maybe time to consider that it's not just those bad people that need to do the repenting work. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's time to repent. That is the message of John the Baptist to the people of God. We have to understand, this is not John the Baptist going out there to talk to all the bad people. This is John the Baptist who is screaming at the top of his lungs to the people who really should have known better. Now, this happens a lot in the Bible. When prophets speak, a lot of times the, the writers of the stories want to set the backdrop. And this is the backdrop. This is the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius. Uh, the Roman Empire has moved in and has taken over. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. That name should be familiar to us. Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Vituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas, who actually had just kind of left office, but his son-in-law Caiaphas had taken office, and they were sort of ruling together in the religious, uh, in the religious culture of the day. And yet, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You would think given all of those, those gears of a, of a high society and culture, you would think that God would want to say something to some of those people, but no, the word of God came to the person who could hear it in the wilderness. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And by the way, it's that Zechariah who was a high priest in the temple. Zechariah himself was a servant in the, in the temple. Zechariah knew that this son of his, John the Baptist, was going to do something good and dangerous because he knew that this Zechariah, that this John was going to be a voice. Here's what he says. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. And by the way, that could be us to guide our feet, says Zechariah, into the way of peace. Turns out we need John the Baptist. Turns out every once in a while we need somebody to take us by the lapels, to shake us just a little and say, wake up, listen up, go into the desert so you can hear me again, and then come home. I'm asking again, no matter when you made the decision, VBS, church camp, college at a revival, here at church on a Sunday, 
Have you made that decision? Most of us would say yes. And you could kind of picture, you might even be able to hear the song, right? I can. Have you wandered from home? Have you wandered from that peace at home moment? If so, good news, God gives us the gift, it is a gift, y'all, of the reminder that we need to repent, that we need to get home so that we can be ready for what's coming next. John the Baptist, he knows that he stands in the tradition of the great prophets like Isaiah, people used by God to be the voice of God. John knows that God is again giving the gift of an opportunity for repentance and reconciliation. And it is in being reconciled, it is in the very action of coming back, coming home, in making peace with God, that they would be, and by the way, that we would be prepared to receive and participate in the bigger and better thing God is always trying to do. Many will prepare by repenting, by confessing their wanderings, and by being baptized in the Jordan, each one in that moment enjoying his or her kind of Red Sea Exodus moment of being liberated, set free from all that would hold us captive and keep us from being who God wants us to be. And so John goes into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, quoting Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Man, that last line's important. We believe this because Scripture tells us in so many different ways that God wants to do something bigger than perhaps we have the capacity to imagine. So every once in a while, God says it again and again to try to add some, some, some richness, some depth, some guts to our understanding of what it is that God wants to do. Let me take a shot at it today. God wants to restore everything. No? No amens there? Okay, let me try another way. Let me try a different way. God wants to reconcile all people to God's self. Yeah. God wants to finish what God started in creation when God called creation, if you'll remember, good and very good. God wants to restore and renew. That is the bigger thing that God wants to do. Your repentance, my repentance, which can be understood as a reorientation to God and the things that God wants to do, is a step in that process. But repentance in and of itself is not God's highest hope. I hope you're hearing this. Again, in the tradition of Moses, in the tradition of Isaiah, Moses, who told the people, hey, here are the things you gotta get ready because God's going to bring a sense of freedom and liberation and homegoing to you. Through prophets like Isaiah, hey, you all, you need to get ready because here's what God wants to do. After you get ready, once you get ready, you can appreciate that God wants to bring this sense of freedom and liberation and homegoing for you. To a people trapped in their own homes by the Roman Empire, and not just the Roman Empire, but by the ugly ways that faith was being embodied, John the Baptist says, hey, 
don't get trapped by all of that. In fact, there is one coming. There is one coming who can bring you this sense of liberation and freedom for a much greater, grander life. And Scripture has this same sort of warning for us, but also promise for us today. Hey, y'all, God's highest hope is not to somehow finally get you to stop doing the bad thing or to confess that you have done the bad thing so that you can finally somehow wipe a magical slate clean that would then qualify you for eternity. That's fine. It's just not the biggest thing. The bigger thing is this. God wants to use you, work in and through us to announce to the rest of the world that God is about to do a bigger, grander thing that will result in liberation and freedom and hope and life and the people who will help are the people who have been reoriented, the people who have repented, the people whose obedience is no longer in question. And now all God's people said, listen y'all, God wants to do a big thing. God is gonna do a big thing. It is the desire of God that God would be able to work in and through you in that process. And God will be able to work in and through you in the process of bringing hope and freedom and liberation and future if you will be reoriented. Or, to use John's words, if you will just repent. And acknowledge, and acknowledge that perhaps you have wandered now, not wandered from God's care, but maybe wandered from God's imagination for what could be here and now. What if, I mean, just go with me here for a second. What if God wanted to do a big thing along the lines of another sort of exodus? I mean, God seems to have that in his bag. What, what if God wanted to do another thing, really big, along the lines of return from exile? What if? What, what if God wanted to do another thing along the lines of what we see happen in Christ? Oh, John, this sounds a lot like blasphemy now. Are you saying that we could somehow be Jesus. I think that's what Paul means when Paul says body of Christ. What if through the body of Christ, God is gearing up to do the next really big thing? Would you be repented enough to help? My man N.T. Wright, who has never met me, says, <laughs> of course Christian living is far more than simply repentance, but it is not less. All spiritual advance. Reading this in context, he didn't just mean for a person. It is inclusive of us as individuals, but he's talking about spiritual advance that would be embodied and understood and experienced by the people of God and then by all of creation. So hear that. As I say, all spiritual advance begins with the turning away from what is hindering our obedience. When does judgment get preached around here? Today. It is time to repent. It is time 
to make peace. Now, I found a, a nice little video that I, I mostly like. I mostly like what's at the very end of it, so I'll see you at the end, that has to do with peace being more than the absence of conflict. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. And every week around the table, we receive, we accept this offer of peace, the potential each week for a reconciling moment. And whether it be at these altars which are open 
now, by the way, if you want to make your way here on the way to the table or as you are, are leaving. At an altar or a place of prayer that may actually be in your pew, we surrender. This is the work that Carla said we need to do, and she's right. We surrender. We reorient and are reconciled. If you are helping us today with communion, would you please go ahead and, and make your way to the front? Heavenly Father, bless these elements, bread and cup. Also, God, bless these moments, moments. With the bread and the cup, God, remind us that this is a costly piece, costly to you that you offer us each week. A costly reconciliation, costly to you. Remind us too, God, that perhaps it should be more costly to us as we respond, hopefully in complete and utter surrender. Bless these elements, God, and with them, Awaken us. Take us, if you need to, into the desert so that we can hear you more clearly. With these elements, God, shape us to be your people, people of peace. In a moment, the ushers are going to invite you to come row at a time, a few rows at a time so that we don't have too much of a, of a, of a clustering down here down front and you'll come forward to receive a piece of bread. It will be placed into your hands. Please come, and we forgot to say this last week and something that was precious to us before. This, these are gifts. These are gifts to be received like this. You don't reach out and try to snag them somehow, but allow them to be placed into your hands as a gift. Once this piece of bread is placed into your hands, then take it and dip it into the cup. The bread, obviously, is the body of Christ. The cup is the blood of Christ. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every day that you receive it, including today, remember me. In the same way, later he would take the cup hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, Remember me. Having done that now, having gone through that little liturgy, as soon as you get down here to receive the bread, please feel free to take. If you would prefer to still take the prepackaged, we totally want to encourage you to do that if that makes you feel more comfortable. And these ushers here will have a few packages of elements for you. As soon as you receive it, go ahead and take it. We've already had the liturgy. But I would ask you to think about this on your way. Is this a good time to repent? Is this a good time to pray? Whether it be at one of these altars or back at your seat, back at your pew, is this a good time to come home? Is this a good time to make peace? Is this a good time to be reconciled? I would submit <laughs> in the gifts that we've been given, these gifts of grace that we've been given, there is perhaps no better time there's no better time to make peace and come home. So I would encourage you not just to eat and drink today, but friends, 
eat and drink and pray and repent. So the first three or four rows, if you guys would go ahead and stand up and come down. And again, if you would prefer the prepackaged, if you already have them at your pews, you can go ahead and take at any time. But please stay in a posture and an attitude of prayer. And the ushers will dismiss you by rows to come forward if you prefer. If you prefer not to take part at all, that's okay as well. But any of you who understand your need for grace are absolutely welcome today and every week at this table. If you understand your need for grace, you are hereby qualified to come to this table. come home whether it's here at the front like these or it's there at your seats hope you will take this opportunity to take seriously the opportunity you have to be reconciled to make peace Father, we recognize when we get away from the noise, we become more aware of our need to reorient and repent. There's a sense in which, God, that I would ask for your help to make this into a weekly desert wilderness place <laughs> that allows for just enough distance from the noise just enough distance from the pollution that we can hear you better, sense your voice and leadership, and in these moments be reoriented because we confess, we confess that we need it. In your praying, church, I would 
I want you to take these moments as I get out of the way verbally just to pray the simple prayer. God, I repent. And God may say of what? That'd be your chance to go ahead and fill in that blank. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Let's continue in these moments of prayer as prayers of intercession. And just as a reminder, these altars are open. If you would like to have this to be a place of prayer, as we continue in these moments of prayers of repentance. But in these moments of intercession, would you gather with me as we pray? I'm going to be praying first for our friend Derek Doris. Many of you know Derek and Tiff. They sit right over here. Derek has had a stroke this week, and it seems as if he will make a full recovery. But they have found within him a hole in his heart. And so he's going to be probably having surgery in the days to come. So, um, so many of you know and love Derek and Tiff. It would be appropriate for you to reach out and send your love to them in these moments. But especially your prayers now along with me and along with all of us in the days to come. Derek spent a few days in the hospital, but is at home now resting and is um, looking forward to, I think, that upcoming, trying to figure out um, how to get him healthy, John, and whole, right? To try to be able to make that heart whole and be able to have a whole and healthy future. So I wanted to let you know of that, and then we'll have a few other prayer requests, but we're going to start praying for Derek and Tiff, Molly and Ava. And so, God, we do come to you in these moments of intercession, asking, God, that you would make Derek Doris whole, that, God, that you would allow him the strength um, for each new day, and, God, that you would give him courage, strength, and health. God, would you be with Tiff, um, strong as she is, God, as she loves and helps to make Derek whole. Would you be with her and then Molly and Ava and all who love the Doris family? God, we thank you in advance and ask that you would do a good work in Derek and that your love and grace would be mediated to him as you work on his body. God, we ask for a few other requests. God, we ask you to be with one of our Cole Community Center employees who's had a difficult week of hospitalization. We ask you to be with Shay. God, we ask that you would be with the granddaughter of Steve and Elaine Green McKinley who has doing well but needs your continual strength, help, peace for her wholeness. And God, you'd be with her folks, Mike and Morgan, as they love her and help mentor back to health. God, we ask for your healing in her life. God, we ask that you would be with some of our friends like Glenn and Betty Fain and others, God, who just need your help and your presence in their life. And God, we ask that you be with those who are experiencing cancer in this moment and need victory and need healing. No doubt in these moments, as I say these names, you may have someone in your life who needs a healing touch from God who has cancer, and please pray for your loved ones as I pray for these. God, we ask that you would heal and help Bonnie Goodwin, Scott Peterson, Dennis Bratcher, Angela Adams, Carolyn Fielding, and Margaret Farmer. 
God, and we take these moments to pray for those who we know need your help. And that can be however our loved ones need you. That could be perhaps a prodigal that needs to return home or we would like to see come home. Perhaps, God, that's someone in our life who we know who is incarcerated, who needs, God, your presence in the midst of difficult days. And God, on this Advent Sunday of peace, we ask, God, that you would be with those who need peace in their life, who have so much chaos and don't know where to turn, that, God, your loving grace would bring them peace and wholeness this morning. And God, I ask that as we pray this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and it should be on the screens in front of you in a moment, that, God, you, through your spirit, would reach to us individually and as a body and turn us into people that resemble this prayer in our daily lives. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.